सहनावतु सहनो भुनक्तु सह वीर करवाहे तेजस्वीनावधीतमस्तुमाषावे ओं शांति 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 मे द लॉर्ड प्रोटेक्ट अस बोथ द टीचर एंड द टॉट टुगेदर मे द लॉर्ड गिव अस द रिजल्ट्स ऑफ नॉलेज may we attain vigor together let what we study be illuminating may we not cavil at each other om peace 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 so we are studying the katopanishad towards the end that these two verses which i could have done last time but i wanted to save uh, them for one full session because they are powerful um you'll see why i like them so much um, you will see how important and powerful they are so let me just chant the verses and they go together verse number 12 and 13 so i'll chant them translate them and then we'll discuss it mantra 12 naiva vacha na manasa praptum shakyo na chakshusha asti ti bruvato anyatra katham tadupalabhyate the translation is from swami gambhirananda ji it cannot be attained through speech nor through mind nor through the eye how can it be known to anyone apart from him who speaks of it as existing 13 ajandar 13th mantra अस्तिपलब्य तत्व चोभयो अस्तिपलब्य तत्व प्रसीदती द ट्रांसलेशन ऑफ द थर्टींथ मंत्र इज द सेल्फ इज फर्स्ट टू बी रियलाइज एज एक्सिस्टिंग एंड देन एज इट रियली इज ऑफ दीज टू एस्पेक्ट द रियल नेचर ऑफ द सेल्फ दैट हैज बीन नोन एज मियरली एक्सिस्टिंग बिकम्स फेवरेबली disposed for self revelation all right that's cryptic enough now let's see what it means brahman is infinite limitless limitless it's uh, often described as limitless existence limitless consciousness limitless bliss happiness or fulfillment as sat pure being limitless being chit limitless consciousness and uh, ananda limitless fulfillment or or bliss now um you will notice in these two mantras brahman the ultimate reality or the self atman was described was uh, denoted by the term existence as existence so often you find in the upanishads brahman is uh, uh, is described or is indicated by the term consciousness so uh, in kena upanishad it's consciousness in taittiriya upanishad in taittiriya upanishad you find both existence and consciousness you remember the definition of brahman which we did satyam gyanam anantam brahma brahman is being awareness unlimited being and awareness we have done this uh, i mean i've given talks about this number of times my favorite definition of the absolute i mean it's a contradiction in terms absolute and definition but then if you have seen those talks you will see what it means 
um, there satyam means existence and in the chandogya upanishad uh, you find sadeva samvedam agra asit or dear one all this was existence bare existence alone you know in the beginning before all this um, you know name and form the universe arose it was bare existence alone um, when when in chandogya upanishad it is said tatvamasi you are that that means existence tat sat pure being um and in some places you find some of the upanishads you find brahman indicated by bliss or happiness um for example taittiriya upanishad anando brahmaiti vyajanat no brahman to be ananda or bliss um raso vaisa uh, brahman is rasa rasa is of course a term which has many meanings in usually in indian languages it means something tasty flavor uh, and rasam is a very uh, spicy drink favored in the south especially um but uh, rasa is also aesthetic experience there's a whole theory of rasa how you get joy in art and dance and literature and painting and all that's rasa but in vedanta rasa means brahman brahman is bliss itself rasa itself raso vaisa brahman is rasa that is bliss um chandogya upanishad again says that um nal pe sukham asti there is no uh, happiness in the limited bhumai vasukham yo vai bhuma tat sukham what is unlimited that is happiness in the unlimited in the infinite there is happiness so brahman is infinite existence infinite consciousness infinite happiness so this infinitude uh, that is brahman in this uh, particular mantra you see brahman is described as or indicated by the word existence isness this unlimited existence that is brahman so in order to realize brahman and to realize that we are brahman one must turn away from the limited see it says nam chakshusha not by eyes which by eyes is meant all the senses whatever can be objectified by the senses that's not brahman na vacha not by speech whatever can be verbalized whatever language can refer to that's not brahman manasa whatever one can think of conceive of understand that's not brahman unfortunately so um because what the mind can do what language can do and what senses can do they always grasp the limited so in order to realize that i am the unlimited that's what advaita wants you to do that i am the unlimited one must not be caught up in the limited what does it mean being caught up in the limited one desiring the limited limited in sanskrit parichinna limited that which is cut into pieces so desiring the limited when we desire money and pleasure and power and property all of it is limited facebook likes all of it is limited and we get caught there do not desire the limited turn away from desiring the limited do not work for the limited this is a great thing to understand all the efforts that we have in our life whatever we are doing in our life take a close look at why we are doing it are we are we doing it to pursue something limited then don't now how am i going to survive swami survive for attaining the unlimited survive for god realization 
If you want to do a job and earn money, let it be that. Without this, I cannot do my sadhana and attain God realization. That's why I'm doing a job. Uh, if I am raising a family, if I am with people around, why am I doing that? Not for what they can give me. Rather, this is now my arena for spiritual practice. How can I love, serve, you know, help them grow as a part of my spiritual practice? Whatever I do, and continue to do it, but make sure that I am doing it for the unlimited, not for the limited. And not for the little things that people can give me, a job can give me, a little bit of pleasure in the world can give me, not for those things. If I do that, then I'm caught. I'm caught because I desire the limited. I'm caught because I'm working for the limited. Don't do that. Bhavana, that means, what do I think of myself as? Uh, do I think of myself as this body, this person? And don't be caught in that. That I am a man or a woman or I'm Indian or white or black or brown. Be limited. The moment I think that, I'm excluding something a lot outside me. The moment I think I am this, this particular body, limited. So the bhavana, my, my constant thinking and self-identification, try not to be with the limited. Try to expand beyond the limited. So what this is what not to do. Do not desire the limit, limited. Do not work for the limited. And understand that, that not, that's not saying that you should give up your job and re retire to the Himalayas. You can do what you're doing, but re reoriented, a paradigm shift. I'm doing it for God realization. I'm doing it for the infinite, not for the limited. Um, and bhavana. Do not con constantly immerse yourself in the idea that I'm this limited person. Born and I will die very soon. Uh, adversarial with others. These are the ones I like and I want their approval. I want their closeness. I want their company. These are the ones I don't like. I want to avoid them. I dislike them. I want to criticize them and hate them. No, that's limited again. It's a limited bhavana. And then limiting myself to the body, to the mind. So... Um, not with the parichinda, not with the limited. We, what we want is the unlimited. Vedanta, what it does is, it takes you, the individual, and shows that you're unlimited. That's all it does. Vedanta is not for, you know, I spend a lot of time in excavating, in, in finding out the witness consciousness, not the body, not the mind, I am the awareness, but that's not what Vedanta is for. Sankhya can give us that. A little bit of uh, you know, meditation can show us that I am awareness. So Vedanta is to show that that witness consciousness, that awareness is the unlimited Brahman. That's what Vedanta does. Uh, Advaita Vedanta. I'll repeat. Advaita Vedanta is not to show you that you are the witness consciousness. It is to show that the witness consciousness is the unlimited Brahman. That's what you are the witness consciousness, which is the unlimited Brahman, the non your own non-duality. That's what Advaita Vedanta wants to show you. Where do we go for the unlimited? Where do we go to find the unlimited? If I'm going to turn away from the limited and I'm going to look for the infinite, the unlimited, where do I find the ananta, aparichinna? Ananta, unlimited, uh, limitless. Aparichinna, unlimited. Where do I find it? There are only two options. Where can I look? Either in the object or in the subject. Either in the this or in the I. This idam. I aham in Sanskrit. 
Either I can investigate this or the I, the object or the subject. And if you look at the object, when you say whatever you can designate by this, what are the objects? What does this mean? The objects to which this refers to are external, are outside. This, um, uh, this house, this city, this person, uh, this job, this book, this um, uh, whatever, this, it's an object outside. The word this refers to an object outside. As language, it's on your tongue. As, a, as the object, it's outside you. As a language, it's on your tongue. It's what, it's a word, this. And what this means, the meaning of that word, this, is a concept in your mind. So the whole range of this, this, when you say this object, are things outside, language which we use on our tongues to refer to those things, and the concepts in our mind. This is the entire range of object. This is the entire range of the word this, of this. And notice what the Upanishad said. Not by eyes, not by speech, not by mind. Nachakshusha, navacha, namanasa. Whatever is perceivable, I, I, you, whatever we see, hear, smell, taste, touch, nope, that's not Brahman. Why? Because it's limited. We are look, what we are looking for is unlimited. And uh, whatever is within language, this is language. This word is language. Whatever is language, that's not Brahman. And whatever we conceive of in our minds, that's not Brahman. And therefore, because it's all limited, therefore the entire gamut of the objective, external, verbal, mental. Chakshusha, sensory. Vacha, uh, by speech. Manasa, by mind. The entire spectrum, you cannot find Brahman there. You cannot find the infinite there. You cannot find the unlimited there. They're all limited. That's why it says, na chakshusha, na vacha, na manasa. So first I'm diving deep into the mantras, which we are going to see here now. And then we'll see what Shankaracharya does in the commentary with the mantras. He does something more than uh, the basic meaning of the mantra. So not in the realm of the, this, not in the realm of the object. Now look at the subject, the I. Just this bare feeling of I am. Notice five aspects of this I am. Five aspects of this I am. First, this I am um, is undeniable. You're looking like he's going to speak about Descartes again. No, I, I, I've mentioned it too many times. So we all know that it's undeniable. Everything else can be doubted. But that I exist cannot be doubted. That's the one, only one thing that cannot be doubted. Everything else can be doubted. Doesn't mean that the things which are doubted, they don't exist. But uh, you can doubt whether they exist or not. That's one. The I am. What are we trying to do here? I'm going to point out five features of the I am, which makes it Brahman, the unlimited infinite which we are searching for. First, it cannot be doubted. I am, it cannot be doubted. Even to doubt it, that I am has to exist. Second, um, it is continuous through all experiences. It is the only thing that is continuous in all our experiences of life. Thoughts come and go. Sensory experiences come and go. But I am 
I see, I hear, I smell, I taste, I touch. What I see, hear, smell, taste, touch, those things keep changing, coming and going. Even the seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching keeps changing, starting and stopping. Each is a discrete little flash of experience. But I am continues through all sensory experiences. I am continues through all mental experiences, thoughts, emotions, ideas, memories. And the absence of those thoughts, emotions, ideas, memories. Like if I remember, I am. I remember. If I do not remember, I am. I can't remember. But I am. I'm still there, shining. In fact, it's there in the absence also. When the external world is not seen, no seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, no thinking, remembering, dreaming, just blank. I am, you cannot say I am anymore. You cannot think I am anymore because the mind is shut down. But then that blankness also appears to the I am. When the mind starts functioning, you can again designate, yes, that blankness was also an experience. Therefore, now when the mind is working, I can use the mind to say, I am, that was there at that time also. The I am continues through our waking experience, dream experience, deep sleep experience. I am is continuous. So that's the second point. What was the first point? You know, some of you looking puzzled. Yeah, what was the first one? I forgot. I am is undeniable. Indubitable. Absolutely certain. I am is continuous. I am is continuous. Third, this I am is not an object. It's not an object. I mean, we have talked about this many times. What do I mean by this is, Rupert Spira put it very beautifully. He said, I am. You have no doubt that you exist. Correct? We say yes. Point out the experience which shows that you exist. What is it in your experience which shows your existence? We say nothing. It's a beautiful way of pointing out the non-objective nature of the I am that I'm taking from Rupert Spira. He says that there is nothing in your experience which corresponds to the I am. See, what it means is, book exists. Here, I can see the book, touch it and all that. Or it's a sensory experience. So, book exists. This corresponds to my experience of the book. Um, cloth. This corresponds to the experience of, of cloth. Thought. You can't see it, but I can feel my thoughts, emotions. I can internally experience them. So, those thoughts and emotions, they correspond to my experience of thinking and feeling, remembering. But I am, what corresponds to that experience? You can't point it out. Whatever you will point out for I am will be I am body, I am mind, I am a man, I am a woman, I am a white, brown, I am happy, I am unhappy, I am old, I am young. All objective, all related to body, senses, mind, my biodata, my um, CV. All of it objective. Nothing corresponds to the pure I am. Yet it's undeniable. Look at this. The combination of these two, these three factors. One is your existence is undeniable. Your existence is continuous. Everything else can be doubted. You cannot be doubted. Your existence cannot be doubted. Second, your existence is the only thing that is continuous in your life. Everything else is a whirlwind, a storm of, you know, as the Buddhists say, kshanikam, kshanikam, sarvam kshanikam, momentary, momentary, all is momentary. It's all, everything is in a flux. 
It's in the flux to you, the experiencer. Um, and then whatever we consider to be our own body and mind, what we normally add to ourselves as the experiencer, all of those things are also doubt doubtable. They can be doubted. They are also in a flux. Body is changing. Mind is changing. Personality is changing. Then the third one, that yet this indubitable continuous I am, nothing uh, corresponds to, his to this experience. What, what is it? Why are we saying I am? Why am I saying there is a book? Because I'm, I'm having this experience. Here is a book. But why am I saying I am? What is that experience? You can't point to anything. Whatever you point to will be an object, body, mind, something like that. So non-object, pure subject. Fourth, fourth uh, aspect which I want to point out is that now we look for the nature of this I am. What could it be? Well, it is existence, but not an object. It is existence itself, we can say, because it exists undoubtedly. And it reveals everything. So it must be consciousness. And it is continuous, unbroken in time and space. So it must be unlimited. This continuous, this existence consciousness, unlimited, unlimited existence consciousness is the nature of I am. Satyam, Jnanam, Anantam. Unlimited existence consciousness. That is the nature of the bare I am. And then Vivekananda says, this entire universe is a projection of the self. This I will not argue it out. I've done it on other, other times. It requires extensive argument. Then what about the external universe? And the internal universe? The physical objective universe and the subtle objective universe. Physical objective universe, world, body. Subtle objective universe, thoughts. What about them? They are what appears to the I am. They appear to you the I am. They appear in you the I am. And there is no evidence that they exist apart from you the I am. They are what is called adhyasta, superimposed upon you. An appearance in you the unlimited I am. And what is superimposed can have no existence apart from the I am. Apart from the, the ground of superimposition. This is a philosophical way of putting it. It's like saying... The snake has no existence even a little bit outside the rope in which is, it is mistaken to be. The, the rope is mistaken to be a snake. That snake, which appears in mistake, in error, has no existence apart from the rope. It does not exist on the rope. It's a rope itself. It does not exist behind the rope or in front of the rope or a little bit below the rope. No. It is literally the rope itself. Similarly, this entire universe, which it seems to be so vast and spread out before us as a body, as a mind, and a world of waking and dreaming, this entire universe, which appears in our waking state, which appears in our dream state, which disappears in our deep sleep state, and again reappears when we wake up, this entire universe is identical to you, the I am, though it appears to be so diverse an object. This is the limitlessness of the I am. This limitless I am, which you are. This is the meaning of Tattva Masi. You are that. This is Brahman. This is Brahman. To realize this is the object of, uh, of, of Vedanta, Advaita Vedanta. 
And notice why I said I am, because earlier I used to say, you know, consciousness, or witness and all that. I am because I'm introducing the element of isness here. In I am, there are two aspects. Am means exists, is. And the I is the consciousness, is the awareness. Chit and astitva. The word asti, the Sanskrit word asti, we can learn it, it means exists. So, but to understand this, one must sharply distinguish this I am from the mind. It's not a thought. You can think I am, that's not the I am. It's the witness of that thought. This I am has to be sharply distinguished from the mind. That I am, that limitless I am is Brahman. That's what you are already. It's not that, you know, I am a sinner trying to be a good person, adharmika trying to be dharmika. That's the mind. Adharmika, sinner, mind. Dharmika, good person, ethical person, mind. I am a devotee. I, I believe in God and love God. Mind. I am a yogi. I don't believe in all that. I practice meditation and see myself as the witness consciousness when the activities of the mind sees. Mind. Meditation, samadhi. Mind. Dhyana, dharana, samadhi. Focus, meditation and samadhi. Mind. I am a Brahmagyani. I have realized I am Brahman. Mind. I am a Jivan Mukta. Mind. So, Adharmic, papi, the, the sinner, mind, uh, ethical person, good person, dharmika person, mind, um, devotee, bhakta, religious person, mind, yogi, meditation, meditator, mind, jnani, the person of knowledge who has realized I am Brahman, I know I am Brahman, immediately, that's the mind speaking. I am jivan mukta, enlightened by living, that's the goal, isn't it? That's also mine. What are you? You are the limitless I am. That Brahman, that is Brahman. That's what Advaita Vedanta wants to tell you. So, this is what the mantra itself means. If you look at the mantra, then we'll see what Shankaracharya has done with it. So, first of all, as we saw, it's not an object of um, senses. That's not a physical thing. It's not something that can be described by language. Why not? At other times, we have talked about it, the limitation of language. What can language do and what it cannot do? Language can describe an object. It cannot point to the uh, unlimited pure subject that is Atman or Brahman. Why not? And I'll indicate just quickly in a couple of sentences and move on because the word here says vacha, not by, no vacha, not by language. Why not by language? And are we not using language now? No. Why not by language? What can language do? Language works when there is, yes, jati, guna, kriya, sambandha, Rudi. So, um, if there is, if the object you're going to talk about belongs to some category, some species, jati. Yeah. It belongs to, it has got certain qualities, attributes, guna. It has, it performs some action, kriya. Uh, it is related in some way to something else, sambandha. Uh, or it's just named. In that case also, language will work. If these five factors are there, any of them, language will work. If these five are not there, language will not work. We call a cow a cow because it belongs to a class of animals which are cows. But you can't do that for Brahman because there is no class of Brahman or Atman. The unlimited, there's only one and non-dual. So it won't work. Quality. 
So a red flower or um, a tall man. So that's a quality, red, tall, it's a quality. You can use quality to indicate, language can work if there's a quality, some attribute, some characteristic, some indicator, then language can work. But Brahman is, we you know, Nirguna Brahman, attributeless. Therefore, quality cannot be used to indicate Brahman. Third, Kriya, action. Um, you know, a driver of a car or the cook who has cooked these delicious dishes. You can use some word to indicate action. And then you can, language will work. Some activity can be used, transaction, some activity. But you can't do that for Brahman, Nishkriya, beyond any action. Then Sambandha, um, relationship, father, mother, guru, shishya, all of these are relationships. Can you use relationships to indicate Brahman? You cannot. Because relationship requires at least two terms. Dvinishta Sambandha, Nyaya term, uh, definition of relationship. Relationship uh, requires two terms at least. But there is no two. Brahman is non-dual. What will Brahman have a relationship with? So Brahman is the cause of the universe? Not really. The universe is an appearance. Brahman did not really cause an universe. So Brahman is non-dual, therefore no relationship possible. You cannot use relationship, Sambandha, to designate Brahman. Finally, uh, Rudi, can you use just conventional naming? You know, if you call someone, um, you know, Ram or Sham or Gita or something or Mary or, or John, just give the name. Not that it has any particular class or uh, action or quality, just the name. This person from now on will be called um, Ram. Can you, can't you do that? Can't you do that for Brahman? But to do that, to name something, you need to point it out. If I just say, um, that's John, your question will be, who? Yeah, I have to point it out. If I say, I can't point it out, then the naming did not work because you did not understand anything by that. Whom will you understand by John? Because I did not point it out. Now, Brahman cannot be pointed out. Cannot be pointed out because it's not this. It's not an object. Therefore, all the five uh, factors which determine the functioning of language, they don't work for Brahman. All this I'm saying because the mantra says, Navacha, not by speech. And then, not by mind. Brahman is not that something that mind can think about, can objectify. It is that which illumines the mind. That which illumines the functioning of the senses, that which illumines the functioning of language, that which illumines the functioning of the mind. But it cannot be uh, designated by um, language. It cannot be um, objectified by the mind. It cannot be perceived by the senses. That's the meaning of naiva vacha na manasa na chakshusha praptum shakyo. It, it's not available for these ways. Then, how is it known? That one, Astiti Bruvato, the one which keeps on saying, I am, I am, I am. That one, Asti means I am, is, is. Not the things which we normally think is. Anyatra katam tadupalabhyate. When we say is, we normally designate objects. Table is, man is, woman is, sky is, um, the snow is. Finally, in New York, a little bit. There's a little snow yesterday. So is, when we say is, other than the I am, all the objects are described as is, that can never be Brahman. Object described as is, 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 can never be Brahman. 
Why not? We saw all of those are limited. Then, which is uh, Brahman? The one which keeps on saying is, is, is. The one which keeps on saying I am, I am, I am. Other than that one, how will you find Brahman? This is the meaning. Astiti yatra kratam tadupalabhyate. Other than the pure subject I am, where will you find Brahman? Now, I am giving the meaning, meaning of the mantra. Be careful here. Because if you go into the commentary by Shankaracharya, you will see a different commentary. Because he takes all this for granted. <laughs> he's like, you have understood all this. Very good. Now he's going to do something else. Um, so this is... Uh, yes, someone commented, isness itself is Brahman. Yes, but be careful. That isness, this is what is being pointed out. Astiti, isness. It should not be an easiness outside. If it is this easiness, this table is, this man is, this book is, that is not Brahman. But the easiness which is you yourself, he says, other than the one who is speaking this, where will you find Brahman? So the one who says, easiness, I am, that easiness is Brahman. That one, you, the I am, that is Brahman. Okay, now that we have done this, let's um, see what Shankaracharya does with this. So what he does here is, um, he takes this as a refutation of the Buddhist school of the void, of emptiness. So, you know, the four major schools of Buddhism, Buddhist philosophy. The Sautrantika, Vaibhashika, Yogachara, Vijnanavada, and Shunyavada, Madhyamaka. And one of the schools is Shunyavada, Madhyamaka. Uh, it's the emptiness school whose great teacher was Nagarjuna. And later on, other great masters like Chandrakirti, it all came up. And that is the primary philosophy of Tibetan Buddhism. His Holiness the Dalai Lama, all the followers of Tibetan Buddhism, their primary philosophy, just like for us, in the Vedanta society, our primary philosophy is Advaita Vedanta. For them, it is Madhyamaka Buddhism or Shunyavada, school of emptiness. Now, before we launch into it, it's good to know that sort of consistently Shankaracharya, Shankaracharya and his followers interpret the school of emptiness as nihilism. As they are saying nothing exists. Ultimately, nothing exists. It's all nothingness, emptiness, void which is appearing as this universe. The essential nature of this universe is that there is no essential nature. So it is nihilism. There is no ultimate reality. Nothing really exists. Now, is this a fair way to characterize Tibetan Buddhism? Um, I would suggest not. But let's give it respect because this is how uh, most of the Hindu schools looked at the, the emptiness school as nihilists. Asadvari, those who, those who take the position, nothing exists. Now, why would you say that it's a, not a fair way to characterize it? Because if you see Nagarjuna himself, the very first thing he says, what is it that you are saying? Is there an ultimate reality? Uh, he says, no. Aha, so you're saying there is no ultimate reality. He says, no. What do you mean? You mean that there is both ultimate reality and there is no ultimate reality? No. So there is neither ultimate reality, neither there is no ultimate reality. No, not even that. Chatush Koti Vinir Mukta Tattvam. Nagarjuna wants to say that there is, um, that it is beyond these four, um, what is called a tetralemma, the four alternatives. Is, is not, 
is and is not, neither is nor is not. These are the four options. Beyond that is um, the nature of is what you call the Buddha nature, whatever. Uh, they, they have different terms for it. Buddha nature, Tathagata Garbha. Now, at, so at this point, you might say, but that's just like our Brahman. That's just like um, you know, pure being, pure consciousness. Yes, it is. But then there, they will not say that also. They stick to their guns and will, will not accept any kind of positive description because they say every positive description is bound to be false. So there are these two ways of interpreting the school of emptiness. This is not what Shankaracharya says. Two ways, I'm just giving it as an intro. Uh, two ways of interpreting the school of emptiness. One is the traditional way, which is Shankaracharya does, and other uh, Hindu philosophers, the Nayaikas, the Mimamsakas, they all interpret it as that way, that it's nihilism. It, they're saying it's nothing. Or a more considered way, if you study Tibetan Buddhism directly, you will begin to see that this is an oversimplified way of looking at Tibetan Buddhism. It's like dismissive of, Tibet, of uh, um, the Madhyamaka philosophy. Otherwise, there's a lot of similarity between Madhyamaka and uh, Advaita Vedanta. In fact, which is why the dualists always attack and criticize the Advaitins and call them Prachanna Bodha, crypto Buddhist. You guys belong to a Buddhist camp. You guys are not Hindus. That's what we are, we are charged with. But uh, traditional Advaita commentators reject the school of emptiness as nihilism. So that's what's going to happen here. Um, one more thing can be said in their favor, the traditional committees, the Shankaracharya and others. In my study of Tibetan Buddhism under Professor Garfield, I noticed in the old commentaries in Tibet, when there's a lot of debate between different masters, Tibetan masters, the one way they would attack their opponents, one Tibetan teacher attacking another op opposing Tibetan teacher, they would try to prove that the other guy is a nihilist. What you are saying, the way you are teaching the school of emptiness, that is tantamount to nihilism. And that's a way of defeating the opponent. If you can prove that it, your opponent's view is nihilist. Now, my point here is, I pointed it out in the class. My point is that if the emptiness school, the Tibetan Buddhist masters themselves for centuries have accused each other of nihilism, then we can forgive Shankaracharya and other Hindu teachers who think that the, Tibetan, that the uh, emptiness school is nihilism. So it, it can be perilously close to nihilism. That's the problem. All right. Now, um, what Shankaracharya here says, so this is the way he interprets this meaning, this, this mantra. It is not something which can be revealed by mind. It can, it's not something that can be revealed by speech and not something that can be revealed by the senses. Now the emptiness people come in and say, in that case, it doesn't exist. Whatever exists should be, you know, it should be perceivable by the senses or by your modern scientific instruments. Or at least it should be describable by language. Or at least you should be able to think about it. You yourself admit you cannot see, it cannot be perceived, it cannot be spoken of, it cannot be thought of. So it doesn't exist. And Shankaracharya says that only those who say astiti bruvata, those who say it does exist, who say it does exist? Those who are followers of the Vedic path. Anyatra, he says, not the other guy. Anyatra, he, he defines as the other guy. That guy who is saying, those who are, uh, who advocate emptiness, nihilism. 
they can never come to the realization of Brahman. They can never come to the realization of the infinite Atman. And therefore, they can never attain enlightenment or freedom by that path. Because after all, he says, by that path, by that you know, sharp, sophisticated, um, logical inquiry, you will just end up with nihilism. It's only at that point you need the testimony of the Vedas, the Upanishads, the teacher like Yama, the Lord of Death coming and telling you, Asti, it does exist. Only if you are a follower of the Vedic path, you will accept that yes, it does exist. And therefore, then it, it goes further. There, it does exist. And then you'll be told it is the I am. And then you, the unlimited nature of the I am will be shown to you. And then you will realize that I am Brahman. But this will never happen if you follow that path of nihilistic, the path of the emptiness school who says that it doesn't exist. There's nothing, no ultimate reality. Um, so this is the take which Shankara has. To, it is a refutation of the emptiness school, the Madhyamaka school, according to Shankaracharya. He, he doesn't directly say Madhyamaka here. He just says the those who say Asad, that there is no ultimate reality. Um, later on, he's going to characterize them as demons. Next, next um, comment, commentary on the next mantra. So, once you realize that there is an ultimate reality, and then the door for realizing I am that ultimate reality is open to you, and that leads to liberation. That's the Advaitic liberation. Nastika. So, here the difference is between Astika and Nastika. Ast and the Nastika means here, so Nastika literally means not exists, does not exist. So the technical definition of the Nastika, it, the Nastika, the word Nastika in Sanskrit in many Indian languages means atheist, one who doesn't believe in God. But the technical definition is those who do not accept the testimony of the Vedas. So Shankaracharya points out those who do not accept the test testimony of the Vedas, in spite of their fine analysis, they'll end up with nihilism, nothingness. Um, but those who do accept the testimony of the Vedas, they will be told that this entirely non-objective, uh, non-object, not an object of senses, not an object of speech, not an object of mind, this is there, this is the Atman, this is Brahman. And then you, so you start with the Nastika who says that there is no ultimate reality, does not exist. You come to the Astika, those who follow the Vedas, they say it does exist. Now in the in the Astika, the Vedic Astika means it does exist. Those who follow those who accept the Vedas. So those who accept the Vedas, they will start, they'll have they have two 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 camps there also. The dualistic schools who, who accept Brahman exists, Asti, on the testimony of the Vedas. God is Brahman, Saguna Brahman, Ishwara, Bhagavan exists. On what grounds? On faith. Faith of what? Faith on the Vedas. The Vedas tell us that God exists. That is the dualistic school. The non-dualistic school goes a little further. It exists, but I am that. I am that. So not only asti, asti means exists, but also asmi. I am that. Asti means it exists. Asmi means I, am, I exist. I am. What advantage is there? You see, the moment you introduce Vedas and on the basis of the Vedas you overcome nihilism, what will the Buddhists say? I don't believe in Vedas. You're just going on faith. You're just believing things. 
But the moment in Advaita Vedanta, that uh, argument doesn't hold true because we ground it in the one undeniable thing, which is I am. Nobody can deny it. So uh, I am Asmi. Uh, I am Brahman. So that's what uh, Shankara does here. Now, does it mean that that easiness, you have to take it for granted that there is this ultimate existence? And he gives two, two reasons, two arguments to show why it's not a question of taking it for granted. There is sufficient grounds to argue it out, to show why this ultimate existence exists. I'm not going to read the commentary. I'll just give you the two arguments which Shankara gives quickly. These are also provisional. In the next mantra, he will go beyond that. Two arguments. First, one he says is that, notice the nature of existence. Things exist, right? The, in the objective world, things exist. Yes, things exist. Now, they are all effects. They are all produced by something. Karya karana. Karya means effects. Uh, trees come from seeds and pottery comes from clay and uh, babies come from parents. So cause and effect. And the stars produce the planets and the Big Bang produced the stars and so on. So cause and effect. Now, the effects, the existence of the effects, it depends on the cause. So the existence of the pot depends on the clay. When you say pot exists, actually its existence belongs to the clay. What is production and what is destruction? Coming from cause to effect is production. From clay to pot, production. From seed to tree, production. Yeah. What, is, what is destruction? Going back to the cause is destruction. When you smash a pot, what remains? Clay. Clay. Not really. I mean, I'm giving you the answer from, from the perspective of the Shastras. But actually, if you smash a pot, what remains is a big mess and pieces of pottery. You know, uh, there was this uh, railway minister in India a decade ago who said, we are creating a lot of garbage in India when people take cups of tea in plastic cups and they just toss it out of the window and you have littering all over the country. So instead of doing that, let's have earthen pots, which are very popular in India. People take tea in earthen pots. So it's natural. It's recyclable. And so you take, uh, you drink your tea, you can, even if you toss it out, it goes back to the earth, except that it doesn't. Once clay is burnt into a pot, it will be smashed. But what will it remain as? As bits of clay. Still not harmful for the environment. I mean, just bits of clay. Uh, but burnt pot, it remains as pottery, as bits of pottery, not as clay, not as the, as the rest of, of the earth. In fact, what's the one thing that you find in ancient uh, excavations all over the world, ancient civilizations, archaeologists? Pottery. <laughs> it lasts forever, thousands of years, pieces of pottery. Anyway, um, from effect to cause, from pot to clay is destruction. Now, from the wave to the water is destruction of the wave. When the wave subsides, it's water. So existence goes back from, Shankara argues, from the effect to the cause. When you smash a pot, the pot is gone, but existence is not gone. What exists? Pieces of pot or clay. Clay exists. Suppose you pound the pieces of pot, uh, pottery into dust. Well, that dust exists. And you put it in, um, you know, some kind of a nuclear explosion and smash the dust also. Well, the fundamental particles exist. Existence remains. Mm. So, 
his argument is this when you destroy things go back from the effect to the cause destruction is going back from effect to cause as you go back from effect to cause and going back from cause to its own cause to its own cause when you go back to the ultimate cause if the whole universe is also destroyed notice that existence keeps hopping back to the cause so if you go back to the ultimate cause you can be sure existence will be there whatever that ultimate cause is it must exist existence cannot be destroyed that's the argument what's the argument that what is he trying to prove ultimately isness is there existence is there how does he prove that look around you there are so many things in this world yep now all of them exist but yes but we can destroy the ex existence no what you can do is you can send the effect back into the cause existence will remain as the cause you can send that cause back into its its cause existence will remain in that cause in the same way you trace it further back it is quite clear logically speaking you can go back to a cause which will be existence which will exist so existence will be there isness will remain even in the ultimate cause brahman is that's one argument the other argument is more subtle what it says is that the nature of the cause is seen in the effect notice in all pottery made of clay what do you see clay therefore you can say the nature of the cause must be clay in all the waves what do you see water so you can see the nature of the cause of the waves material cause out of which the waves are made the material out of the way which the waves are made must be water because in all the waves we see water in all the golden ornaments we see gold now in all things in the universe what's the one thing you see existence so the nature of the ultimate cause must be existence because it's seen in all the effects this is a subtle argument so one he says uh, existence hops back to from effect to cause so the ultimate cause must be existing the second argument is if you study all the universe you will find one common thing existence isness and effects have the property of the cause so isness must be the cause of the and all this uh, effect the universe anyway this is an argument to show that there is isness it's not nothingness at the heart of all reality it's not nothingness it's not empty it's not a black hole uh, it's isness there must be a reality existence all right now next mantra once you realize this isness next what happens is that the door to realizing i am that isness becomes open so that's the next mantra astiti upalabdhya once you realize isness then tattva bhavena chobhayo when you realize the true nature of that isness what is the true nature of that isness i am and that i am is neither cause nor effect see this is very easily understandable in terms of mandukya in mandukya karika mandukya upanishad mandukya karika what we just said the ultimate cause is isness that is the third father the four aspects waking dreaming deep sleep and turiya the fourth gross subtle causal turiya the fourth those who have studied mandukya they know what i'm talking about this ultimate cause of all existing things is the third aspect what is the third aspect the causal ishvara existence consciousness bliss with the power of maya as the cause of the entire universe 
ultimate cause of the entire universe is Ishwara, God, which, from which the entire universe is projected. So that is the third aspect. But that's not the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is beyond Ishwara also, which is Turiya. At the level of Ishwara, you cannot say, I am Ishwara. It will never work. You are a Jiva and Ishwara is Ishwara. God is God and you are a sentient being. But beyond God and beyond the sentient being is one existence consciousness bliss, one I am, neither cause nor effect. That is what he calls Tattva Bhave, the real nature of isness, which is neither cause nor effect. Uh, what he has done here is, in this um, commentary, I have no time to go through the commentary, but basically he shows this is the heart of Advaita Vedanta. Somebody said the heart of Advaita Vedanta is called Adhyaropa Appavada in English. Superimposition, desuperimposition. Superimposition, desuperimposition. We did that in Vedanta Sara. Most of Vedanta Sara, if you study the te text, which is, many of us, we were there, we did Vedanta Sara. Most of it is superimposition, desuperimposition. Uh, what, what did we do in Vedanta Sara? There is one non-dual Brahman existence consciousness place. In it appears, appears. Not a second reality. Appears the power of Maya. Because of the power of Maya, this one non-dual Brahman now appears as space and um, you know air and fire and water and earth. By a combination of the subtle elements, mind is produced. Subtle bodies are produced. By com then they combine to form gross elements. By the gross elements, the physical world is produced. Do some of you recall? <laughs> it's Vedansa. And then we come to this entire physical world where we are embodied in a physical body. We have a mind. This is what the world is going on. From there, now we beat a retreat. If we investigate, this physical world is nothing but the five elements. And the five elements are nothing but maya. And maya is nothing but existence consciousness. Please. Why do we do this? Because we have to start here. We have to start right where we are. As a person, as a body, as a mind, as Consciousness in body-mind as an embodied I am, as a limited I am, as we feel, there we have to start. We can't start theoretically as your non-dual Brahman. That won't work. So we have to be taken from where we are back to our real nature. So Adhyaropa is superimposition. What is superimposition? Non-dual Brahman, the pure I am. You impose it, you, you see it as mind, body, world. What is the superimposition? You realize you go back from the mind-body world to your real nature as pure as pure I am. Then you realize I am what, what you are. How do you do that? First, you do what is done in the first mantra, the twelfth mantra. You look at this world, look at this body-mind and introduce that the concept of a cause. Here is all an effect. There's a cause, which is existence, isness. From that has come this entire universe. There's a cause. Because in the entire effect has no existence apart from the cause. The cause is in and through the entire effect. The existence of the effect depends on the cause. Existence of the pot depends on the clay. Existence of the golden ornaments depends on gold. Existence of the entire universe, including ourselves, depends on isness. You introduce the cause. And then you show that the entire effect is an appearance in the cause, has no existence apart from the cause. If the effect has no existence apart from the cause, then the cause is not really a cause. It is just bare existence consciousness, please, or bare I am, or bare isness. 
I repeat that. If the effect has no existence apart from the cause, if the effect is just an appearance, jagat mithya, this is where the falsity of the world is introduced. If the world is an appearance, then you cannot really say that Brahman has produced a world. Brahman has created a world. Brahman is a cause and the world is an effect. You can't say that. Brahman is not really a cause. Brahman is just Brahman, pure being, a pure isness, pure awareness, a pure bliss. And that is what you are, Tattvamasi. This is what he's, going, he's pointing out. What was said here? Once you realize the isness, then the real nature of isness will reveal itself to you. Well, how did you realize the isness first in the 12th mantra? As the cause of all existing things. Existence is the cause of all existing things. Isness is the cause of all things you designate with is, is, is. Then what is the real nature of the isness? It's actually not a cause. In Aparokshanabhuti, there is a verse which we did. In all the effects, notice the cause. In all existing things, notice isness. Then let go of the effect. Then realize that all the things in this universe are appearances. Then the causality of the cause is lost. And the causality of the isness is lost. It's no longer a cause of anything. It just is. What is that then? This is the beauty of that verse. Shankaracharya says, he says, it's not that um, there is some isness which is Brahman. It's Avashishtam Bhavet Munihi, the sage, you, the investigator, you remain as that pure isness. You remain as Brahman. So in the, this 12th mantra, we saw isness in all the universe. And in the 13th mantra, the isness was revealed to us as you yourself, neither cause nor effect. That's the meaning of tattva bhava. Adhyaropa asti. Adhyaropa apavada. Superimposition was 12th mantra. 13th mantra is the superimposition. Adhyaropa was 12th mantra. Uh, Apavada is 13th mantra. Asti, isness as the cause of the universe, 12th mantra. Tattva bhava, the real nature of that isness, beyond cause and effect, as you yourself, 13th mantra. Tattva bhava prasidati, the real nature of the I am shines. Prasidati shines. Oh, who shines? You. Where am I shining? Am I radium or radioactive or something where I'm shining in the dark? You're shining right now. Your shining is the mind shines. All the thoughts, feelings, emotions are experienced by you. The senses shine. You see, hear, smell, taste, touch. You enjoy, you suffer, pleasure, pain. The world shines. Well, the world is different. No, you are shining as the world. This is non-duality. The tattva, the real nature of the I am, shines. That is non-duality. That is non-dual Brahman. That is you. And that, and the universe is nothing apart from this shining of you. Very powerful, these two mantras. 12 and 13. Yama, the Lord of Death, has outdone himself, I think. This is a very simple, little cryptic, but beautiful. All right. Let's look at the questions and comments quickly.
Brinda says, if mind, intellect, and senses understand only limited, how am I understanding Brahman? You're describing. What is my understanding? Correct. How am I understanding? You're not. <laughs> Anything that you understand through the mind, senses, and all is limited. Now, what can it, what can the mind and the senses and language do? What we are doing now is language, after all. Upanishads, Kata Upanishad is language. What it can do is not make you realize that you are Brahman. It can remove the ignorance which makes you think that you are not Brahman. The ignorance which makes us think, I am body, I am mind. This can be removed. This error born of ignorance is removed by the proper use of language and concepts, which is Vedanta, which is Upanishads. It will not make you Brahman. It will not even make you realize that you are Brahman. The, you are Brahman regardless of whatever you do. And your realization of Brahman is ever shining. It will come forth when the ignorance is removed. Clouds appear to cover the sun. They don't cover, but they seem to cover the sun. A gust of wind comes and blows away the clouds. Does the gust of wind create the sun? Of course not. Does the gust of wind uh, um, reveal the sun? Not, not that too. Sun is ever revealed. Does the wind have to reveal the sun? No. The sun shines by its own light all the time. It's the only one which has got this physical light. So the sun shines by its own radiance, by its own brilliance. What appeared to cover the sun, the clouds, which were also revealed by the sunlight, that was removed by the gust of wind. Clouds, our ignorance of our real nature is Brahman. The gust of wind, not open Nishat. It's yeah, the Lord of Death blowing, you know, who is blowing a gust of wind, removing our ignorance. That's what language can do. Then, but how do we realize Brahman then? You don't have to. You as Brahman, you're ever shining. It's just your nature has been occluded, covered over. Raka says, the verse that's in the not by eyes, speech or mind, nowhere in the spectrum can you find Brahman. How do we reconcile this with all the things being in truth, nothing but Brahman? I assume that the verse is speaking of relative world experience. Yes. Nothing, all that is nothing but Brahman. The fifth characteristic of this investigation into I am. Do you remember the five things we discovered? I am is undeniable, number one. I am is continuous in waking, dreaming, deep sleep. I am is not an object. And the nature of I am is existence consciousness, unlimited existence consciousness. Or each of these steps you have to consider carefully. A lot of philosophical work has to be done here. Uh, unlimited existence consciousness. Then the fifth stage follows easily. Then what is this entire universe? If I am the unlimited existence consciousness, this universe cannot be a separate thing from me. If it is separate, how am I unlimited then? And there is no evidence of this universe existing separately from the unlimited existence consciousness. It appears to this consciousness and it exists in borrowing from this existence. It appears to you, the consciousness. It exists in you, the existence. And therefore, it is not ap apart from, not a second reality yeah? apart from you. Not a second reality, though appearing to be a second reality. Not actually a second reality. Therefore, you are non-dual. In that sense, everything is Brahman. Because it's nothing other than, in the, in the sense that everything in the dream is mind. 
people, cats and dogs, sky and earth, whatever you see in the dream, yourself, all is mind. The dreaming mind. Similarly, everything in this universe, whatever you see, is nothing but consciousness existence, isness awareness. But remember that isness awareness is not the body-mind mixed-up isness awareness. That has to be carefully separated. Rick says, verse 9, which we studied last week, said that the intellect ruler of the mind resides in the heart. Raman Maharshi said, self is in the heart and the heart itself. Usually intellect thought to reside in the head. Please comment on intellect residing in the heart. Intellect in the head, um, you know, I'm not sure how much the ancients, uh, Vedantes, Sankhans, Yogis, how much they knew about the functioning of the brain. So uh, all the texts, the mind, intellect, mind is all said to be residing in the heart. Now, uh, it doesn't matter really because they're not talking about the physical heart. Shankaracharya makes it very clear. Heart, Hridaya, uh, he calls it Buddhi Guha, the cave of the intellect. It's our understanding, the faculty of understanding the intellect, that is what is called the heart. Now the self, Atman, is said to reside in the heart. How? What resides in the faculty of understanding? What resides in the mind, intellect? Consciousness. Atman. You. You shine. Where do you first shine? On the intellect, on the faculty of understanding. How do you shine? As, uh, you know, as the consciousness, the conscious, reflected consciousness in the buddhi, in the intellect. In the ego. Ego has two, two aspects. The sense of I-ness and uh, awareness. So, this you, and that awareness is not the Atman. It's a reflection of the Atman. So, the intellect, the mind, the buddhi, whatever you call it, in the larger sense, antakkarana. Mind, intellect, memory, ego, all of it together. In a narrower sense, the ego itself. Um, it's like a mirror. And your face is reflected in the mirror. But you are neither the mirror nor the reflected face. You're the real face here. You're not the mind, not even the reflected consciousness in the mind. You're the real consciousness. So in that sense, consciousness is said to reside in the heart. What is the heart? The intellect. What resides in the intellect? Reflected consciousness. And where, does this, where is this reflected consciousness? It's indistinguishable. It's inseparable from the real consciousness. Just as Moonlight is actually inseparable from the sun. From the sun. What do you mean? Moonlight is, can say it's inseparable from the moon. But without the sun, no moonlight. So in the same way. Now, Ramana Maharshi would talk about the heart. He gave a lot of importance to the heart. But he meant it in a deeper sense um, of the source of everything. So pure consciousness, what he was pointing towards was the pure consciousness reflected in the mind is not interested particularly in the mind not even in the reflected consciousness but he saw that as the doorway to the pure con pure consciousness just as how can i trace out my real face i look at the mirror look at the reflected face in the mirror and then i trace it back to me the reflect the real face similarly that's what ramana maharshi did not only that he would go even further and he would identify the heart with pure consciousness or the Atman itself. There he is no longer talking about the intellect. He's talking about the Atman or pure consciousness. No longer talking about intellect, no longer talking, talking about reflected consciousness. He's talking about the uh, Atman, pure consciousness, I am itself. Consciousness cannot be doubted. The sense of I seems to be a supposition. Yes, uh, ego is a supposition. It, is, it comes and goes. Whatever comes and goes is, um, 
uh, that sense of I, that comes and goes. However, notice, you never think of consciousness as an object. If you think, if you try to understand what consciousness is, it will always be intimate with you, the I, the self. So that's what's meant by the I am. What is a supposition, what comes and goes, is the ego. That's normally what we mean by the I. That comes and goes. That disappears in deep sleep. But the real self doesn't disappear in deep sleep. So when I, when I said I am, I meant the real self. There are two aspects to, of it. There are actually one and the same, but in language you have to say two aspects. Am meaning existence, I meaning consciousness. Existence consciousness. Shiva Priya says it is just isness existence which is not understanding it, realizing it, even thought of it, all are objectified. Once known, it's wordless. Yes, once known, it is wordless. But knowing it, it requires all this effort which will remove the ignorance. It will not objectify the I am. I am is nothing but existence. Why do we use that terminology as I am? It's misleading. No, it's not misleading. See, if you, if you just say existence, you know what, the, what trick the mind will play on you? It will say, oh, the pure existence. Here is an ocean of existence. That is Brahman. I am immersed in that ocean of existence. Who is that I am immersed in the ocean of existence? It, the mind will keep you separate from that ocean of existence. Therefore, you have to drive it into the mind. Yes, there is an ocean of existence. Yes, it is isness. Yes, it is pure being. It is I. Otherwise, you will remain as I, this person, and there is some unlimited Brahman. I am, I the is I the uh, isness. I am as these two sides. You the consciousness. You the existence. Only thing is, the normally the I am is very limited. We we bind it so intimately with body mind. That's why Bill just said the I am is a supposition. Consciousness is real. But this I, the supposition is just this limited ego. This but this is where I we locate our I am. But that's not the uh, I am we are talking about. It's the unlimited I am. Even the void is void. Yes, emptiness of the emptiness. It's interesting. There's a whole topic in Madhyamaka philosophy, emptiness of emptiness. And similarly, there's a whole topic in Advaita Siddhiya, Madhusudan Saraswati, Mithyatva of Mithyatva, falsity of falsity. <laughs> this is so parallel, the development of Advaita Vedanta and Madhyamaka philosophy. Alpanas is when should one stop studying scriptures if ever? Don't drop out of the class uh, yet. <laughs> yeah, Yatra Veda, Veda Bhavanti. And you are, are realize there the Vedas are no Vedas. Um, one is keep studying this, the Vedantic texts, till it points out what you, the reality and removes the clouds of ignorance. It works for you and you realize what you are. Then you don't need, need it for pointing out and realization. After that, it can be used for Niridhyasana. Niridhyasana is, it keeps telling you, pointing out what you are and you know what it means. So you're studying the scriptures, Will, studying the Upanishads, Shankara's texts, Advaita Vedanta texts, just keeps on telling you, pointing out your reality. You can do it for Niridhyasana, you can do it for uh, uh, teaching others, in whatever way. It can still continue after that. Girish says, Brahman is not the cause of the universe. The universe is an appearance in Brahman. Correct. But what causes the appearance? Ah, what do you mean by cause? Cause, if, if cause is at all real, then there must be a real cause and a real effect. So if it's an appearance, then it's not a real effect. Then you cannot say it causes. 
then we get into the real into the nature of causation itself so an appearance you think an appearance should also be caused not necessarily what is one sadhu put it naturally nicely what is the nature of the eye the nature of the eye is to see now you look out into empty space there's nothing to see the eye imposes a surface tala malinata shankaracharya says like a surface the sky seems to be an inverted bowl there's no surface there but because the eye wants to see something it sees a surface there similarly what is the nature of consciousness it is to experience but there's nothing to experience except itself and it's never an object of experience then for therefore it experiences itself as this objective universe that which is not objective sees itself as an object that which is eternal sees itself as the changing that which is um, unlimited sees itself as the limited that which is uh, uh, being itself sees itself as existing things that which, that which is pure awareness now experiences itself as um, thoughts emotions feelings uh, you know limited um, movements of the antakkarana so on that which is bliss itself now experiences itself as sukha dukkha pleasure and pain it's the very nature of consciousness to project you know why if you ask why the projection itself why the appearance itself godapada's answer is devasya shobhavoyam this is the very nature of the shining one you the shining one your very nature is to shine forth in these ways now if you say no there should be no appearance brahman should exist by itself very good it does in pralaya when in cosmic dissolution entire universe disappears brahman exists in deep sleep no appearance of the universe no appearance of the mind just you exist as brahman see what can poor brahman do it can either appear or not appear if it appears we'll ask why is it appearing okay then it disappears does not appear anymore now why is nothing appear what a useless brahman can't it at least appear okay then it appears <laughs> there are only two things it brahman can do but in reality not a cause in the world as it appears to be an individual simply a manifestation of the vasanas yes so many of these questions we we'll take up is just thinking Uh, abhijit champanerkar had suggested that we take up and some others have suggested we take up adhyasa bhashya the shankaracharya's classic introduction to the commentary on the brahma sutras so i think i'll do that we have a few classes uh, after katopanishad is over then there will be a break of a month or so because i'll be traveling in uh, india so um in that time in after we finish katopanishad which will be over next wednesday we'll have a few more classes we can at least make a beginning at the adhyasa bhashya let's see many of these questions you will see these are these are the issues which the deep issues in advaita which are raised in adhyasa bhashya and answered so is maya an effect no can turiya turiyati to be close to void the buddhist being it good niraka Yes, Priya says I missed the fourth and fifth features of I am. You can do it in many different ways. This is the way I did it. I can repeat again. When you investigate the I am, first you notice it is indisputable, indubitable. Can't doubt it. One, Descartes and all, you know. Second, that it is continuous. That it's always there. This is the third shloka of Panchadashi, first chapter. 
In every experience, you will find consciousness. I am. Third, uh, you find that it's not an object. There is nothing in your experience which corresponds to I am. I mean, Rupert Spiros put it so spectacularly, you know, and so clearly. He said that this thing, which is the one thing which you cannot doubt, and you can't yet you can't point to anything in your experience which corresponds to I am. Whatever you point out is an object. So it's pure subject. It's not an object. Third feature. Fourth, what is the nature of this I am? Search for it. Try to understand what could this be. Well, definitely it is existence and definitely it is awareness. This much you can say. So you are existence, awareness and yet unlimited. Not limited in time, not limited in space, continuous. So continuous also is a very... Um, philosophically loaded term. It's actually not even continuous. It's assuming time, it becomes continuous. Assuming space, it becomes all-pervasive. You know, when we say Brahman is Sarvabhyapi, all-pervasive, we already assume space. Brahman is eternal. We already assume time. Everything is Brahman. We already assumed everything. Desha, Kala, Vastu, time, space, and object, things. This is Maya. Assuming Maya, then Brahman becomes all-pervading, eternal and everything. But actually, Brahman is neither all-pervading, nor eternal, nor everything. You can't even say those things about Brahman. In that sense, the Buddhists are right. Every description that you give is faulty. It's better to, like the Buddha, he kept silent when he was asked these questions. Okay. And the fifth characteristic, which um, Priya asked about, the fifth characteristic is it is limitless. That means um, this entire, it is uh, um, this universe, entire universe is nothing but you, the I am. It follows from the limitlessness of the I am. The fourth characteristic ends with the limitlessness of the I am. It is limitless existence consciousness. In that case, the last thing will be, what about this universe then? What about this objective universe? It is nothing other than you, the existence consciousness. Good. Now you can see why I like these two mantras so much. All right. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ramakrishna Arpanamastu